you're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Groningen. Hi everybody and welcome to the new episode of Degrees of Freedom. Today's episode is about open educational resources and fourth. I won't tell you now what fourth is and uh, we will hear more about that later. Next to me, there is Tassos Rampalis. Hi, Marcello. And uh, our guests for the day are uh, Flavio Azevedo, assistant professor of political psychology and one of the co-founders of FORT, if I'm not mistaken. Hi there, everybody. And uh, Martijn Blickmans from the Open Science team at the University Library. Yes, hello. Thank you very much for joining us today. And I guess the first question is, what really defines open educational resources, Martin? And uh, can you tell us a bit about the story of this? Okay, right, right into it. Um, yeah, open educational resources, or OER, as you said, kind of a, well, interesting term, because we also have the OER at the library, so that's, or at the university as a whole, so that's always a, a bit confusing. So open educational resources, if you break it down, educational resources, any um, resource that you use to either convey or assess information with students. So if you use it in teaching to figure out if, uh, well, to teach students something or to figure out if they know something about it, that's an educational resource. And they're open in uh, the idea that they are, they don't have any copyright restrictions. So it's very technical in that sense. Um, I mean, basically, if you create something, you have copyright, you can determine how other people use this material. Uh, and you can choose to either let go of your copyright, put it in the public domain, and then other you know other people can just use it, download it, share it, change it, um, without any well, need to do something about it. Or you can put them with an open license, like Creative Commons license, and say, hey, as long as you maybe cite your source, you know, attribute that I was the one who made this thing, uh, feel free to download it, share it with your students, upload it on other websites, change things, add things, remix multiple of these things together. So that's the open aspect. So put those two together, you know, apply that to educational resources, quizzes, textbooks, journal articles uh, in the university context, and you got no OER. So that's how we define it, at least. And you say we, that's how we define it, at least you mean we at the university, at the library, when it comes to um, uh, organizing and uh, supporting open educational resources. Yeah, so it's a, it's derived from the UNESCO recommendation, the 2019 recommendation on OER. Um, but yeah, that's basically our sort of leading definition, the one that we use um, to define our services and our support. It's funny you should say this. The first notes that I have on my document are indeed the 2019 UNESCO definition, which is teaching, learning, and research materials that make use of appropriate tools, such as open licensing, to permit their free reuse continuous improvement and repurposing by others for educational purposes. And already for me, this is kind of where I started wondering whether I am making use of open educational resources or not, because I was struck a little bit with the idea that repurposing or continuous improvement is one key element of open educational resources, that essentially these are not just open license uh, materials, but they're also materials that can be repurposed uh, remixed, uh, reused in all kinds of contexts and improved upon. Is this how we generally understand them? Because I know that the earlier definition of the UNESCO also didn't really uh, make a big effort to 
uh, accentuate this um, reuse aspect, or sorry, the improvement aspect? I mean, it's not like a hard requirement that something needs to be improved for it to be no ER, but it's more so the fact that, you know, it stems from the license. The license merely says you can change these materials. Now, technically, there are non-derivative permissions sort of associated with the Creative Commons license, so you can only use the material as if, uh, or as is. And we generally do not point to those as OER. But, you know, hypothetically, you could do it. It's, it's, I'm not sure if the, the requirement is like a hard and, and, and. It needs to have all these uh, specific aspects. But it is, at least in our experience, the best way that if, you know, and we would call an OER something that has an open license and that license should not have an ND uh, non-derivative aspect to it. So, yeah, you should be able to change it if you want to, but you don't have to. That's uh, that's sort of the other way around. The purposes of OER, for example, is that, you know, it increases inclusivity, equity, access to educational materials for people, for example, um, under disprivileged conditions. Um, and it also, because of that idea of remixing and being able to um, use other people's efforts and work and, you know, labored hours, you focus more on uh, what is it missing, and therefore it's supposed to increase innovation levels, right? So OER just generates um, a, a great deal of innovation in teaching because a lot of the bulk of the work has been already made and you can mix and rematch and, and therefore um, you always have better materials to teach and you have you can focus on the pedagogies, on the didactics, uh, instead of focusing on the material, for example. Mm-hmm. If I am not mistaken, FORT means Framework of Open and Reproducible Research Training, which somehow seems to hint at something related to open research, open education, as well as pedagogy. Can you tell me a bit what it is about? FORT Pedagogies, right? Yeah, FORT Pedagogies is one of the initiatives within the larger framework of FORT. FORT stands for the Framework of Open and Reproducible Research Training, and it's a, as a community, really. Um, that tries to associate uh, open science and the tenets and principles of open science um, a little beyond that of methodological reform. So not only it's important for us to have better research quality, but also aggregate and integrate it in education. That's a big aspect of FORT, so integrating open science principles into higher education, but also bring open science back to concerns with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and accessibility as well. So we try to, uh, through team science approaches, big team science approaches, and community approaches, we try to um, essentially come together to provide uh, perspective within the open science movement, as well as open educational resources uh, in the area of open scholarship and science making and the processes of science uh, and, and a lot of other topics on I don't know, reproducibility and so forth. So it would target a part of uh, open educational resources. Yes, it's specific to what we call open science movement or open scholarship movement, uh, but our community is very broad, um, has over a thousand folks uh, there on a wide variety of disciplines, so we do cover quite a few topics, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think the most important part is to, to bring that integration in open education, right, coming in 
and saying open science needs to be um, um, taught in higher education so that folks not only learn the facts of science, but go a little beyond and learn a little bit about the processes by which we abide as a community so that we are training better consumers of science, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, the second part is also sort of trying to sway the movement away a little bit from methodological reform, which is very important, but a little bit uh, towards uh, concerns, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging, which has been missing from the discourse. One of the things that you mentioned, Flavio, that actually two things that you mentioned, both of, um, both of which started with supposed to, and this is uh, one of the elements that I wanted to talk to, to both of you about. Indeed, as you said, uh, open educational resources have the potential or are supposed to uh, capitalize on the enthusiasm, on the motivation aspect of educators, and also be there as catalysts for inclusivity and diversity. Have you found this to be, in practice, a reality? I, in part wondering, or maybe I'm here showing my lack of knowledge, most of the open educational resources that I've seen, if not all of them, have been in English, for example. And it seems that it's the lingua franca for this movement because it is a shared movement, a global movement. And it sort of struck a chord and I wondered how this whether this contrasts with the diversity or the inclusivity tenets of uh, openness. Yeah, I, I think this is a really great point, Tassas, because um, we see this not only with open educational resources, we also see this with uh, recent uh, developments within science. So uh, more and more, for example, in my area of expertise, social sciences, we do this large-scale collaborations that we call big team science, right? Essentially, we pull resources from a wide variety of places to accomplish scientific goals that we couldn't otherwise accomplish unless we pull everybody's resources. And in, in big team science, we have been addressing uh, mostly research from the global north, using resources from the global north, but going to the global south, for example, for sample diversity, Right. So it feels a little, you know, extractivist to do that. And the same thing can be thought of when it comes to open educational resources, that English is the sort of implicit mandated language. And, um, you know, you either speak English or you're not going to be able to access this, which is which is very unfortunate, of course. So when it comes to the second part of your question uh, that goes beyond the what does reality look like and how is this implemented? I know of several initiatives, but most of them are grassroots organizations like the Turing Way or Open Life Sciences, but also Ford that tries to implement in their initiatives that diversity, inclusion, and belonging and accessibility issues. So for I can speak to uh, about Ford. So we have this um, glossary of open scholarship items because we thought that, uh, you know, we're always evolving these languages. There is, you know, interdisciplinary barriers and et cetera. So we made a glossary of open scholarship definitions. Very short, but still very referenced. And, and uh, we also make the effort to list everybody's contributions to each definition. Um, and we have over 350 definitions, but it's only in English. So 
currently we are devoting resources to translate this into 10 different languages. Uh, we have already to be uploaded about two languages and we are working on the other eight of both Global North and Global South languages so that we increase accessibility to this knowledge. Um, I know that Open Life Sciences also have cohorts and they particularly target folks from the Global South and they are trying, and there's uh, Metadocencia, which is this uh, Spanish language training center that also tries to put their actions where their mouth is. I, I'm not sure if that translates, but the, so there's some initiatives, but these initiatives need uh, a sustainable path forward, I think and via funding and via advocating for their sustainability. Yeah, that's very interesting that you say, because when you were talking about that, I was thinking at a discussion I had with a friend some time ago. He was saying, having worked a bit in the finance of his department, that the time that a lecturer spent writing some uh, educational material is extremely expensive for the, for the institution. And then, uh, is it really worth to spend that time and use that amount of money to write your notes instead of getting some book and then just go on with the book in the way we were uh, used to go. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to comment, because I'm a lecturer on this, I think it's very much worth it. And I think um, in my experience, it is really good to be able to sit at the front seat of your teaching because every educator has their own qualities that they that they know how to explore and engage students and have, uh, you know, they, they know what kind of methods uh, they can apply that will engage students better and facilitate their learning. So hopefully, I believe that producing the OERs is one of the ways in which we find ourselves as best better educators. It's, 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 it's also a, a self-learning process. And books are very good. They give structure, especially to students, but they, they provide, I think, a structure that can be sometimes, um, I'm lacking the word here, um, a prison, <laughs> but a better word. Yeah, they can be, they can fence you in, certainly. They are restrictive in the ways that um, they can be applied. Yeah. This is true. And I'm really trying to be the devil's advocate here because in, if I think at my teaching... I like to write my own lecture notes and make them available. I do it because somehow I need to have something that tells the story that I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I like knowledge to be open and public. And so from that point of view, software, hardware, lecture notes should just be there for whoever wants to use them and learn from them and it assemble them and whatever. But exactly because I write my lecture notes to tell my story, Somehow I feel that there will be a very limited batch of people that will want to tell exactly the same story. Because I'm writing them, uh, I don't know, uh, thinking about the courses I'm teaching next, thinking about what I work on. And so I really tailored to my way of looking at that topic. And uh, this is, I'm bringing this up because it's something I've noticed at least when I was looking at some open educational resources in mathematics a couple of years ago even big and widely used one, it you, you could feel that they were written by different people and you were lagging this unique message and unique story uh, behind the notes and you would just get a lot of different things that yeah make sense as a lot of pieces of a course, but they weren't bringing you somewhere. They were just attaching knowledge to knowledge. Is there a way to have 
open educational material, but guarantee somehow this uh, both the usefulness for other people and this unit revision that come if you develop your own from scratch. I think to some extent, you know, with OER, you have to make it generic for other people to use. But I think what's interesting about, you know, the fact that you have the knowledge to knowledge sort of the very basic theories and, and, and proofs that you need in mathematics, you can then put your own voice to it and make it your own resource. Whereas with a, uh, you know, a textbook might have a, a more unified, unified uh, voice, but you're not allowed to actually change that material directly. And you're not allowed to share that material directly. And there is a upfront cost to everyone involved, uh, the teacher, but also all the students to buy that textbook to at least get part of that, part of, um, access to part of that knowledge. So an OER, this kind of goes back to the idea of the Creative Commons thing, and, and with the improvement, the cool thing about OER is that you don't have those barriers to actually improve it, to make it your own thing necessarily. And you, know, you don't have to create something from scratch and share that. You can start from an existing OER, change it, and then share that material. That is perfectly allowed. That's the redistribution aspect of, an, of a Creative Commons license. So the generic knowledge is, in that sense, the best uh, best place because you can project your own voice and project your own ideas to uh, to it and maybe add a few things that you think, well, this is something I think is useful to any teacher out there, even though it might be my voice, but it is generic enough that there is presumably a large group of uh, teachers that might find it interesting, might take it, you know, might use it as they find it, or also think, oh, I can build on that. And, and it becomes this collaborative effort to create a textbook with a voice that best suits uh, millions of students, but that can be um, changed in such a way that it suits your specific group of students and your specific style of teaching as well. If I think at my bachelor studies and my master studies, in most cases I had lecture notes, and lecture notes that were built as um, Austin Cleon, as a writer, has, uh, wrote this book called Stealing Like an Artist. And it's basically telling you what is art. You look at a lot of different things that you like, you merge them and make something new by copying what you liked in each of them. And if I think at the lecture notes that I have, and that I really liked studied on, it was copying various different pieces from different places and then connecting with this voice of the lecturer. Of course, he couldn't publish that as a book that you sell, because then you would have to work out what was copied, what was not. But still, it was distributed to all the students. It was publicly accessible on the website. It probably is still publicly accessible on the website for whoever wants to use that. And then what is the difference between the new movement of open educational resources and what people used to do, at least in this context in some universities? It's really just about uh, the license, so it becomes legal to redistribute my content and then perhaps really sell it, or there is more. If we boil it, boil it down, yeah, to some extent it is that legal, I think, the, the redistributing, the putting it on the website, that is, frankly enough, that's illegal. That's a copyright violation. And if you get caught, that might have consequences. And perhaps as an individual teacher, you might not feel those consequences directly. But um, as a university, that can hurt. And indirectly, that can come back at some point to the faculty and it's like, well, there's less money now for you to do your research or to hire someone to help make your teaching easier or better. So, yeah, on a, you know, on a very basic level, it is that license, it is that copyright aspect of it. And at the same time, it's also the idea of um, 
you know, when you're actively engaged with it, you can also share it further than just that website. It's not just your students that contribute to it. It's also people in the global south or uh, people that just do not have access to the kind of materials that you have. You know, and it's perhaps it's a little un, unasked for, unasked, you know, unsolicited advice, but at least you sh- show it to them and you have like, hey, here's this thing you can actually use. And they don't, then do not run into the uh, the problems of copyright and that kind of stuff. So, you know, for it might be for one individual case, like, oh, well, who cares about this one thing? But you create this resource that is usable by everyone. So you take away the burden of or, or this this legal problem for so many more people if you share your materials openly. I, I also think that there is quite a lack of open educational resources out there. And there is an entire industry for-profit industry that mostly targets um, middle-class and upper-class students at um, Global North universities that sell whatever is available and make efforts to actually uh, close what is available out there and for-profit. So uh, there is, I I won't name it because it's useless, but there are several of these platforms nowadays. If if, If you type any course of any top university, and we're not talking only about U.S., but also Europe, um, with the code you will find. Uh, I found my own slides on, on these websites and for a profit. And uh, they sell student uh, notes along with the, the slides, and I'm not sure about the copyright on that, Martin, but uh, just, uh, just to say that, you know, not only it's very little, there are very little OERs and it's difficult to find unless you know your way around OERs but uh, there is that industry and the whole issue at least for me for OERs is increased accessibility and equity because then uh, the current model allows only some parts of the population to profit from these resources because they can pay for it and it's not only a matter of global south and global north but um, a matter of you know income and whether you can pay for these resources or not. So I, I, I think it's really not a question of what are the pros and cons about OER, is that how is it that we don't have mandated OER? Uh, because uh, it, it, the status quo, can it's not sustainable. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I've been critical so far, but it was more to just try to understand than, uh, than other. I couldn't agree more than that, I mean. Even thinking about us, we are paid with public money. I don't see any reason why the output of this work shouldn't be public as well. It's interesting note that you find these, because that's, again, that's also a copyright violation. Uh, so educational materials are copyrighted by the university. They are sort of, it's interesting note, you also said like it's very bad technically for the institute because research is researcher owned, but educational stuff is uh, institutionally owned, in fact. So... Actually, if, if that's a thing, then you know, we as a university should should go after those those companies because they they're, they are infringing on our copyright and they're stealing from our, as you mentioned, the public money. Uh, and they, there's laws in the Netherlands as specifically also where it's like we cannot have public money become become used for commercial gains and stuff like that. So <laughs> that might be something to to go look into to see if we can actually get some uh, maybe some legal action on that. So let me put along this thread just a little bit. You said, Martijn, that, I uh, forget how you put it, but research, work, the copyright for research belongs to the researcher, the copyright for educational material belongs to the institution. 
help me come to terms with this. Why <laughs> is this the case? I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not 100% sure uh, why this is the case. It might just be the idea that research still is more of a sort of individual, indi- individualistic sort of journey. And you're trying to, you know, a lot of your reputation comes from your, your research work for a large part. We try to flip it around indeed with open educational resources. We don't have an OER policy yet. Let's not be too too quick on that, but we hope it, hope it will come. But that's why we do, as a university, want uh, teachers to share their materials because still the copyright will be by the university, but at least everyone can use it. Also, technically, the other teacher. What exactly the reason is behind it, I don't exactly know. But yeah, it is a disconnect and it exists and it's something to, to sort of deal with. I think, yeah, maybe it has to do with just the idea of teachers taking slides from, you know, if they leave academia and then start selling their slides, for instance, that might be a, a problem because it maybe we lose out sort of on our competitive edge as a uh, as a university as well. I don't know exactly what the whole reason and is behind it. But I think it's broader because I remember, I actually have a screenshot of this. Uh, I remember when I was uh, reading my contract when I just joined and in the contract it says, unless negotiated otherwise, the institution, Ruch in this case, holds the copyright on open educational resources and other teaching materials developed within the course or in employment, according to the collective labor agreement. So this oh. is actually a national yeah, thing. It's a national thing then. For open textbooks, we do tend to be more uh, specific with that. Like there's a whole contract. If you go to the University of Groningen Press that we have in the library, if you want to publish a textbook via something like Pressbooks, uh, a platform that we use or I think also Open Monograph Press, at least in that workflow, I think as well. There is like discussion on copyright and license. Then there, it is assumed that the the author will still be the copyright holder. But yeah, it's it's interesting that for the general thing, apparently nationally, that's a I learned things here as well. It's interesting as, as the expert here. <laughs> I think it it's interesting also to highlight the fact that research is researcher owned to a point. Because we, as we publish papers, we actually put the copyright to journals, which profit quite a lot, as we know, to the detriment of accessibility of publicly funded research. Um, similarly, while the university holds the copyright, and this is a question for Martai, perhaps there can be ways to share this in a way that other people can use and reuse and even share this via Creative Commons. And I... I, I'm not familiar of, for example, Ruch or Dutch universities telling researchers that they cannot share their educational materials, right? No, generally it's, uh, again, we don't have a, a mandate or a policy specifically that you sort of have to. Delft University does have like an OER ma- policy on that. And we are looking into, is there a place for a policy like that here at the Ruch? By the sheer function, for instance, of my position, we have a vision towards open education and we align with uh, the Dutch government uh, who also put that in their coalition agreement, though, you know, we're, of course, in time of election. So who knows what happens with the next one? But um, so there is there there is this this vision, this idea that we do want to share materials. The slogan is open unless, you know, unless there's any kind of privacy issue or GDPR issue, you know, we should share things. But otherwise, we should uh, make it as openly as possible. Another thing, by the way, just realize, of course, a good thing about the university being the copyright holder is, in this case, you don't have to go take legal action towards those companies that steal your slides. You can say to the university, hey, 
something is going on here. Uh, your copyright is being infringed. Sure, I helped make it, and my, I'm, my name's on it, but uh, you don't have to go through all the legal battles. Of course, that's also a thing that uh, that goes the other way. You ha- also have the protection um, as a... Yeah, I think this is a often misunderstood point, actually, especially when talking about Ford and the ethical duty to to open your educational materials, is that people mis- mistake the copyright is owned by the university as if they cannot share, whereas it is much more on the sense of protection and carrying the legal onus by the university rather than an impossibility to make this uh, open resource uh, open educational resource open. And um, it is a question that I often face, even when presenting Ford and talking about our initiatives. People say, you know, because people do take Ford's resources and they put on their own websites, for example, and, and there's, you know, stories of this. But, you know, we must press on. It, changing culture takes time. And I think it's important that we do the right thing for the sake of the right thing. I think uh, there is a keyword there, changing culture. One thing I was also wondering about is that this shift into thinking about open educational resources isn't also opening a lot of room for exploration on about, for example, not just making open science or or open education more accessible, but also promoting different new ways, more inclusive ways also of sharing the knowledge, of sharing your research, or having a debate or a discussion about uh, the results of your research, the processes in your research, the processes in your education. Could this change of point of view also lead to new ways of uh, interacting with people and with our students? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are communities of teachers so, so in the Netherlands, we have sort of the IT sort of cooperation between uh, higher education uh, institutions. And they have this OER repository called EduSources. But they also have these communities where teachers from different courses or different universities or institutions can come together and share their materials openly. And then they collectively sort of have ownership about, hey, this is what we think is important. This is how we can also work together. And then, you know, if someone in Groningen shares something, someone in Utrecht could say, hey, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I changed this because of my university. We do it like this. And maybe that's interesting for you to know. So you can really change, you know, by sharing indeed the materials. You show the process, you show the thinking, and you, you know, you open up for critique and for criticism, but also for suggestions and feedback. And make education better as a whole, as a collective. But yeah, it requires the first people to take the step and share the things and to find the connection uh, with other teachers who do that as well. And I'm sure that also counts for research. But uh, Couldn't agree more. Um, I think you said everything about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me switch a little bit and ask you about your experiences with the different uses of open educational resources or maybe as a source of inspiration. Uh, Martin, you've been working in the library for, what, a year and a half now in the open educational resources. And uh, from what you told me on the on the way to the studio, it's been very busy. You work, um, um, there uh, is a lot of work that relates to open educational resources within the University of Groningen. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of examples. You both have seen a lot of examples. From my point of view, and again, I guess Marcello is supposed to be the devil's advocate today, but I'll just share my experience as noting that for a lot of the kinds of courses that I'm interested in teaching, there just isn't a lot of good quality material out there. For some, 
there's really great material or at least there's really great material to form starting points for the framework of a course but certainly no good quality textbooks let's say no good quality extensive uh, syllabi in order to create a new course so what have your experiences been and more specifically with a view to the quality of open educational resources you also mentioned flavio about sustainability and i wonder whether you can comment on both of these uh, uh, one after the other flavio maybe i can start with you to start with the sustainability part um I would agree that there isn't too much high quality resources out there. And I would also agree that this is a function of the fact that there isn't too much OER to start with. And um, there has been sort of a, you know, neoliberalization of educational institutions that even very profitable, even if, you know, NGOs kind of ish in the US universities have been profiting off their educational platforms, right? So, for example, the MIT initiative, they are one of the few that have most of its contents for free. But there are several other universities uh, that charge for their, for their courses, etc., on an online basis. The same can be said about universities in other places, and that generates to a, a scarcity of good resources. It is also very difficult to find these resources. There's no platform that you can go at an international level to find resources uh, that are broad, right? There is not one-stop shop that you can go. There is a, a, a website in, in the Netherlands for this, which is very nice. There are other websites. There's uh, In Open Science, there's four. There's other organizations that pull these resources. But there's a lack of a gate. So think of an educational gate for open educational resources. Of course, there's OER Commons, by all means, that exists. But it's still very little compared to what is out there. So hence the quality. And to speak of sustainability, I can say that uh, directing Ford for five years, it is very difficult to find ways to fund our organization. And every work that we've done has been done through a voluntary basis. So no one got paid, not my time, not uh, volunteers' time. And this is a problem because as we progress in our careers, we change our jobs, etc., then this there's very little sustainability in continuance of these resources. So that's how things stop in the end. And we need sort of structural funds or that universities or uh, educational ministries, they take up via mandates to populate the OER uh, sphere with resources so that everybody can, can use it. And that becomes a cultural shift. And people start understanding why we need to do it and focus and, and realize that you know, there's way more positives than negatives on this. And it, it's exactly how science should be, right? Our output should be open. Similarly, the way that we teach should be open. Why isn't our classes, for example, streamlined on YouTube or Vimeo or etc.? Why is it, right, especially in, in Germany, in the Netherlands, where education is relatively free, right? It's a good for society. Uh, Flavio, before I let somebody move uh into this, you you mentioned that in the Netherlands there is a platform for searching for OERs. Are you talking about the Surf Share Kit, or are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. So that everybody's is, uh, nodding, there and is, uh, uh, that's not how. Indeed, okay. uh, dot NL, uh, I guess. But 
Yeah, but even there, I mean, it is limited to some extent. There's a there's a couple of fantastic, prolific contributors there, and uh, we've also contributed. But um, indeed, it's kind of the the nature of uh, open that it is decentralized, and that leads to this this problem that there is no single gateway uh, to finding high quality OER. So OER Commons is, I think, probably the largest repository in the world then we have stuff like merlot uh by uh i think the state university of california or maybe california long beach but um that was also really big and there's there's these you know there's like the the mason oer meta finder which is which crawls all these things but to be fair a lot of the, those infrastructures aren't great i have last year for for more than a year for for um for a large part of the, t- the time that I'm already employed at the uh, university library, I've just been collecting places to find OER. And I had a list of over 400 places. And uh, some of them were very short. And there were just a couple photos that were put in public domain by an amateur photographer. And that's an OER, technically speaking. And for people at the University of Harningen, how do we get access to these resources? What's the your recommendation? University of Groningen LibGuides. There is an OER LibGuide with a bunch of resource lists where I've tried and wrestled with all these sources, uh, narrowed it down a bit, broken them up into courseware, into more general things, into multimedia, tried to break those lists up into uh, this is more general stuff, this is stuff for STEM uh, education, this is stuff for arts, this is stuff for business and, and social sciences. And within those lists, I've tried to say this is the website I think these are easy to use, and then at the very bottom there's a couple where it's just I think they're open, but I'm not completely sure about the license. So anyone that's you know looking to find stuff, that's libguides, uh, rug.libguides.nl slash OER. We'll make It'd sure be, that there's a link at the yeah. description of this podcast. Yes, too. and otherwise, rug.nl slash library slash OER for our support point. We also link to it there. But that's places where you can find open resources. And coming back to the question of need of quality, there's a ton out there and there's a lot of stuff that is high quality, but not the thing you're looking for. And then you're going to have to find another resource that is also high quality, but also not completely the thing you're looking for. And then you need to think about combining those two together into one thing. And that's time, that's effort. And that's not rewarded well yet. The culture shift isn't there yet. And we hope with the open science program and, and the changes that come with this, that, that we can create a culture shift and that we might be able to reward the creation of, of OER and sharing our research. It's also more ingrained into, to, I don't, I don't want to point fingers to like the actual academic and say it's their fault as well, but we also do see that they're, you know, the Netherlands as a whole is very research oriented. Uh, academics themselves like research a lot and that's completely understandable. You get a lot more freedom to say and to, um, what you want to do in your research part compared to your educational uh, part of your job. So, there's a, a huge shift happening here. And it's also the, indeed the difference what we see and it also happens, again, going back to the fact that English is sort of the lingua franca of, of OER, is that in the US, education does have a bit more of a role in uh, university and also community college teaching. So a lot of the materials, a lot of open educational resources come from the US because they are basically 20 years ahead of where we are in Europe. And even then we are even further ahead than well the global south and the people who have less access to these materials as well so yeah 
I just want to point out something that Martin said. He had 400 resources, right? Like different websites, different sources for resources. And then he spoke about photographies, but also things on STEM and etc. So I think that the listener could see the amount of effort, right, that it would take for a organization such as a university to pull these resources. Whether if we have as a mandate, as a policy, a governmental policy, then we could pull these resources together and work together towards a way to achieve a common goal, a public goods goal, towards the implementation of accessibility and equity for our education. And this is where I think us academics sometimes miss the point of how the future could look like if we had investment. Imagine that education would be available. So it the degree, we still need universities to obtain the degree. We still need universities for assessment. But if you want to learn, you shouldn't need a university uh, in subscription for that. In in defense of in defense of the government, I never thought I'd say, say that. <laughs> but, uh, you might be the first Dutch yeah, person well, no. to say that. But um, <laughs> we do have the mandate, and there is money for it. So we have you have the National Plan Open Science, and we also have a education equivalent in NPULS, and they have this this domain. Um, it's like going towards affordable digital resources, and open education open educational resources are part of that. I think uh, I mean open education compared to open science is, I wouldn't say like an underdog, but it, it's lagging behind a little bit more of the research side. Um, but they are working on it. So they're thinking about the Centers for Teaching and Learning. There are discussions, and we are, uh, as the University of Groningen, we are also part of those discussions. We do talk about this. Indeed, the hope is that funding for these kind of things are going to exist, that there is going to be more space in the rewards and recognitions regulated almost on a national level for people that want to put in the effort to create high-quality OER uh, and that want to make teaching and education more accessible. We'll see. It's, it's still, a, you know, I'm, I'm not directly related to that, to that program, but I know of it. I know it, it's happening. I know there's a lot of interesting things on the horizon, and hopefully uh, soon in a couple of years, we'll, those will be a little more concrete because right now they're still a bit nebulous. Are there resources or opportunities for educators today to tap into is there something that you would recommend to somebody who is curious or interested in creating their own open educational resources in order to get support and by support i mean funding and support i mean uh, uh, support from uh, from assistance or from uh, yeah support services on how to put things together essentially time and money i guess that's the two resources we need the most if we talk about really dedicated support you're going to have to look at stuff like grants. Uh, famous Comenius grants are probably the biggest one for those. Educational grants are just less prevalent generally. There are things also on for the open science program. I think the national plan, you can also ask for money. And then especially if your teaching is about open science, you could hypothetically link those two together. More low-key support. Well, that's what me and my colleague do at, at the university library, but also at uh, AC, or, or teacher professionalization, they also know a lot more about OER nowadays as well. So when it comes to building and designing, we can sit there and think along. We can't really do the work for you. We're not content experts, of course. But you know, if you are teaching a course and you would be interested, like, oh, can you, you know, I don't have time. I don't have the afternoon to go and look at this 
this wonderful research list that you created, could you perhaps go and look? Can you find one or two textbooks that I could just have somewhere on my computer and then peruse and then maybe next year I'll I'll switch to that textbook? Sure, I I can do that. I that's part of the service. That's part of the the function that I have. I'm not just here as a as someone who says everyone should do OER. I'm also here to try and facilitate the 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 movement and facilitate the change to open educational resources. So that exists when it comes to the very yeah concrete ones. Uh, we hope that stuff like the impulse program and maybe also you know the the new versions of open science projects uh, that are, are pending coming hoping <laughs> we are looking into it into seeing if we can provide a bit more structural a bit more financial support as well perhaps in time Iber saying that the Netherlands is one of the leads in open science and that it had thankfully a buyout of the government and the open science funds so a national program. So the Netherlands is ahead of most countries on open science. So that's why there is, but internationally speaking, even in the global north, open education resources is definitely, most definitely the underdog. Fort was, to our knowledge, the first education educational-based uh, initiative uh, on open science uh, at our social sciences world. Artel already... Um uh, results, researches that uh, show the benefits, the advantages or the disadvantages in going with open educational resources, with open pedagogy, with respect to then the quality of learning, the quality of teaching. There is some research out there, but findings are a little everywhere over the place. We wrote um, a review, a scoping review on the, it's related to your question, right? So we wrote a, a scoping review on the consequences for teaching open science, several topics, onto the students' outcomes. Think of attitudes towards science, engagement with science, motivation to learn, uh, uh, better grades, and all of that. So outcomes of students, right? And we found, again, that the literature is a little bit over the place, that we need better quality studies, but that there seems to be a good outcome uh, for students in their engagement with science and attitudes towards science. Uh, and if you if you want to find that uh, paper, you can go to the Royal Society for Open Science uh, uh, or you can go to our afford.org slash publications and you're going to find our review there. And we also have a page on the website, so it's slash impact. You mentioned a keyword here that I wanted to come back to and that's the word students. Have you seen a lot of examples where students are active co-creators in these open educational resources? What I do know is that in Ford, because our organization was is comprised of students, uh, we were when we funded the organization, we were PhD students, um, and we're very keen to include students in this process, especially from the global south. So they are authors in our papers, right? And we seek them out actively. And we have several social justice initiatives within the Ford organization to include this a specific population. However, as, as I understand it, participation of general OER resources creation is very lacking. Uh, especially new types of pedagogies that are more collaborative or more constructive, that is missing a lot. So again, thinking about where do we want to head, where do we want to go when it comes to open educational resources, there's still a lot to do, right? Especially the co-creation part. If you 
um, look at the like the specific instances. There's a there's there's a few interesting collections. Uh, Open Pedagogy Notebook is a website where this co-creation with students as part of the assessment. Um, we call that Open Pedagogy, so pedagogy enabled by OER. And we there are a couple of instances where students have sort of indirectly there they might have given feedback on like creative OER that was used in class as a textbook. Here at the university, we have one textbook created by uh, Chris May from University College that is tested. You know, he wrote it himself, but he tested it with students and the feedback from students was incorporated to make it a better textbook. Um, there's also uh, Federico Pianzola from Digital Humanities who uh, does a course also on data collection in Digital Humanities who also use an OER and one of their students wrote a new chapter or one group of students wrote a new chapter for the textbook as well. Uh, th- there's other people also at BSS who are working on uh, on this idea of having students actually create these materials. Part of it is also because, you know, as I mentioned, open pedagogy is OER enabled and there's just not that many teachers yet that think about using OER or even think about that sort of flipping the script actively. I mean, it's, it's a general question of like getting uh, teachers to engage in active learning generally. And there's still a lot of teachers that kind of still use the semi-old school version where they, they talk uh, during a lecture or then kind of, you know, there, there might be some class discussion. But the idea of actually saying, oh, your, your students can create something and contribute to the knowledge corpus is just not, hasn't landed with them yet. Interesting, we, we are very soon, uh, short plug, having a, a, a workshop on open pedagogy. And it is very popular. There's a lot of people, especially considering our uh, signups for a lot more general workshops. There's a lot of a buzz around this. A lot of people have signed up already. You know, a lot of people seem interested about this idea of strengthening student engagement through them becoming co-creators of knowledge. So... It's early stages, but... Uh, is it possible to still sign up for this workshop? It is. We still have about 10 spots left, so... Uh, we'll make sure we'll link yeah. to it. So it depends on how you define co-creation, I think, because if it's creation from scratch, I don't have any example. But, for example, from my courses, each year the lecture notes are different because of the students. There are not just fixed typos, but there are questions that come out to the lecture... Uh, question that they send me specifically contribution to the lecture notes even from people outside the university in one case a student wrote extra two extra chapter indeed so this thing actually happened regularly they did the first draft but the well, in one case is the third in one case is the fourth edition of the lecture notes that's mostly coming from the students from their feedback from their direct messages from their indirect messages during class from direct contents and discussions on perusal let's say so I think that type of contribution is actually, in my experience, extremely common once they have access to the to the notes themselves. And in a sense, I mean, if that if it changes in OER and and it becomes a co-creation of new knowledge, in that sense, yeah, I would argue that that is student co-creation, that is open pedagogy. And of course, we, we can think of open education and open pedagogy as these, these very big things, but you can always start doing them very very small steps, and uh, this could be one of the first steps to. Yeah, creating a more active classroom and having your students participate and co-create knowledge. So as we're approaching what I think is the um, the closing of this episode, uh, what can we expect from Fort in the near future and what can we expect from OER in general in the next few years? All right, I'll start. Um, 
So Ford has a few projects that I am excited about it. I want to tell you because Ford is very much a volunteer-based organization that you can very much take part in. Um, so there is uh, one initiative that is called uh, Replications and Reversals that essentially lists several replication attempts uh, business effects. We have over 2,000 effect sizes and uh, about 500 effects listed in our website. So, for example, um, all sorts of priming, things on social decision-making, um, social psychology, a lot in, in psychology in general, etc. So if you're like, oh, do I want to teach um, things that have not been replicated, you upload your uh, syllabus uh, to our website and we tell you, uh, based on the DOI of, of, of the articles of your syllabus, we can tell you whether it has been replicated and what is the status, it meaning it has been reversed, meaning that the, the effect size is actually the opposite of what was hypothesized originally. It has been replicated uh, successfully or it's mixed evidence. Uh, and the other is that we're soon enough, we got a grant from the NVO. We were the first rated in that, uh, in that round. Um, and... Uh, we're going to provide a shiny app that you can do uh, all sorts of meta-scientific uh, meta analysis based on our data of replications. Um, the second initiative is the Ford Glossary. So as I have mentioned before, the Ford Glossary is a, a point of, you know, a starting point for learning about open science and what each term uh, means in, in our field. Um, and... Uh, more than that, we're translating into 10 different languages, but we are also expanding from 350 entries to 700 entries. Uh, and we need your help as, as an expert as well. Um, and there is um, Ford Pedagogies, which is our initiative to facilitate uh, the life of other educators. So it is going above and beyond the open educational resources and sharing the pedagogy and the didactics of the educational process. So we interview folks uh, who are doing excellent education. Uh, we share their materials. Uh, we interview them about their uh, uh, thoughts and, and process in trying to educate their students in such an excellent way. And we walk uh, the, the reader through this process so that ideally they can implement that kind of excellent quality teaching in their own environment. That's it. That's what you can expect for the next uh, period. Thank you, Flavio. And is this, from what I understand, these are all um, initiatives that people can participate in. If somebody thinks that um, their course fits the aims of Ford Pedagogies, they can contact Ford and... Um, and take it from there. Yes, absolutely. It's very much an open organization. We are very happy to receive new people. Please join our Slack. That's our main form of communication. If you go to our webpage, there is a Get Involved page. Please join us. Very good. Yeah, and from open education, so on a national level, uh, there's the impulse. There is presumably going to be, from a national perspective, more money put into open uh, open education, accessible education. And at the university, yeah, we're still hard at work in our support service. We are looking to indeed expand sort of support also on a sort of a higher level. So looking at perhaps uh, an OER policy, looking at perhaps a way that education, open education could be rewarded more. Uh, so that it's not this, this big time sink for, you know, just this, this value, this good feeling. Good feeling is very important, but it's also nice to be rewarded for it. 
And yeah, and also for our support, you know, we're, we're trying to fine-tune it more and more so that teachers don't, don't have to dig through those 400 websites that I listed, but in fact have like, oh, these are the top OER in my field. This is the stuff that I can work, I can uh, start working on uh, so that you're 80% of the way there so that you don't have to invest the largest amount of time into just searching for things. So yeah, we're trying to fine tune that and make it more rewarding and hopefully with support of the government. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. It's been um, it's been really good to talk with both of you. I think it shed a lot of light on a on a topic that most of us are aware of, but not really intimately familiar with. And I think a lot of us are curious about it. A lot of us are interested in um, uh, sharing the resources that we have come up with. Uh, to a broader audience than the ones uh, within our courses. And I hope this provides some inspiration to our listeners on opening their their material, opening their didactics perhaps, and becoming more active members of some of these communities that were mentioned um, by you both. Yeah, indeed. As a very long-standing open-source supporter, I think even if we are not there yet, it's a good place to head to. So... I hope this community will grow and I hope I will find the time to participate a bit more actively myself, although this is not a promise at all. Thank you very much for listening and uh, I hope to have you at the next episode. This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.